Hey, welcome to the Project Church podcast. My name is Caleb Cole. I'm the lead pastor here at Project Church in downtown Sacramento. And we're so glad that you came to hear this word. We believe this is going to encourage you, build you up, and give you life. So get ready to receive a message from God. Week two of the presence of God. I want to read a scripture. Does anybody have their, their paper Bible in the room? Most people are shaking their head, but I got a few. VIP line in heaven for you. You know that, my friend. Leviticus chapter 6, verse 12 and 13 says this, The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning, the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. Verse 13, The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. I got a message from the Lord today. I feel like it's for our church um, on the fire of God. Has anybody ever heard this? Somebody said, man, they're on fire for God. You've maybe said this before, man, I'm on fire for God. Um, I, I know for maybe if you're in here, you're like, you're like, hey, I don't know about this whole Jesus thing. I'm just checking it out. Uh, my goal is to help articulate this so that you completely understand what it means to be on fire for God. Um, but we're gonna be reading through Leviticus chapter six, and there's a lot of incredible um, teaching that's gonna come from this. But um, in just a few short weeks, I'm gonna be taking a group of students here, and we're gonna be joining uh, over 300 teenagers at youth camp. It's gonna be insane. I'm already knowing. Normally I say I won't sleep at camp, um, but I got two newborns, so I'll probably be getting more sleep at camp than I would at home. So I'm actually looking forward to it. And um, a lot of students will leave camp. I always love summer camp because kids are like, oh, I don't wanna go to camp. Like teenagers are weird and awkward. If you got one, you know. And they're like, I don't wanna go to camp. And then like on the way back, they're like, I don't wanna leave. And so like, this is the, the paradox of what's gonna happen. But I love every year at camp, regardless of what student you are going, um, most students will return and just say, I don't wanna lose what God started at camp. Man, I don't wanna leave camp because I, God was here in every moment. I felt his presence, it changed me. And I don't wanna leave and go back to reality because they, they fear that there's a reality that they might miss what God has done at camp in their normal life. And even in Leviticus chapter six, we read and they're talking about the fire of the altar must be kept burning continuously. Because for us, we gotta understand that, that God is responsible for starting the fire. But we're responsible for sustaining the fire. There's a command for you and for me that what God started, we must sustain. And maybe you've come in here today and you're like, yo, I, I had a fire for God once. Maybe it doesn't feel like it wants it. Maybe it feels different. Maybe it feels like it's just a flicker when it used to be so bright. And now I don't know what to do. Friend, can I tell you, God will give you practical application to sustaining the fire that was once there. Uh, a couple years ago, I lived at this house here down in uh, Land Park. Any Land Parkers in here? Okay, a few. They keep it quiet. I noticed at 8.30, they were like, eh, you know, people think something about me. <laughs> Land Park is bougie, all right? I live there too. It was nice. And um, it is great. Land Park is great. And uh, in Land Park, they want to keep the original, like, antique feel in the homes. And so we lived in this original duplex with some friends that were on the other side. Um, and what was crazy is they were really bought into keeping the original antique vibe. They had no working, no working HVAC in the house. Y'all feel how hot it is out there. No working AC. Now, I moved in in wintertime, all right? And I don't like being cold. 
And it was, it just so happened to be freezing. Now, if, if you're the friends that I live with, you know what I'm about to say, but even right behind the home, there was the light rail. So I was freezing, and then at like every 15 minutes until like two in the morning, my house would shake and vibrate because the light rail would be coming through. So the ambience was amazing. So in order to stay warm during the wintertime, true story, we had to close the door to the bedroom and the, court, the door to the kitchen, and me and my wife had to sleep on the couch for a few weeks in the living room. And there, that's because there was a fireplace in the living room. Now, every 15, 20 minutes, I'd have to go put another piece of wood on the fire to keep it burning. Now, I don't know if this is with every fireplace, and I actually later figured out that it is illegal to use your fireplace in Land Park during certain times of the winter. So if that's you, don't do it, but I did it. I was, that's how I survived, okay? And I, I was using that, but I found out that it's just really for an aesthetic. It didn't actually produce much heat. Anybody ever found that? So I, I moved my chair a little bit closer, and I slept right next to the fire. Probably wasn't safe. But every 15, 20 minutes, I would put a piece of wood on the fire, and then I found some good wood, and then it was like every hour or two, I'd put another piece of wood on the fire, and I had to do this every few hours so that I wouldn't freeze at nighttime. Does anybody in here have a fireplace? You know what I'm talking about. Every couple hours, another piece of wood, another piece of wood, another piece of wood. And I felt like that was something this morning that God was reminding me that is intentional with us, that in order, like Leviticus chapter 6 says, in order to keep the fire burning, we have to be intentional about taking something and putting it on the fire. If you were here last week, Chrissy preached an incredible message labeled, He is holy. If you weren't here, you need to go back and listen to it. But in the presence of God, like we understand that our lives are, are an offering to God. They're, they're the altar to God that, that we, we sacrifice our lives on. And continually, our job and our mandate is to keep the fire burning. We have to continue to bring something and place it on the altar. So let me give you some context of Leviticus chapter 6, um, and then we're going to move through the text. So Leviticus chapter 6, uh, what's happening here is the Israelites. They were once in, in slavery in Egypt. We all know this. God has brought them out through Exodus, and now they are free. They are no longer in slavery. Now in Leviticus, what happens when we pick up is the Leviticus, uh, or excuse me, the Israelites, they are now camping together right down by Mount Sinai. And at this point, the tabernacle's been built. So they got really like, for real? They got their own church for the first time ever. Like, y'all remember when we were in Crest Theater and we got the building and the people that were on the teardown team were like, yo, praise God, I don't have to do teardown at 5 a.m. Anybody that was in here for setup and teardown? Okay, some people get it. You get it. You're like, thank God, we don't have to do that every week. They, they are camping at Mount Sinai. And what's happening now is they have the, the, the church set up and Moses learns really quickly, these people don't know how to live for God. These people don't know how to live holy lives. So what happens is, is Moses goes up and he spends time with God and we know that he gets the Ten Commandments when he goes along, along with God. He goes up and he gets um, instructions and Leviticus, if you've ever read it, is full of scripts on here's how you do this offering. Here's how you do this sacrifice. Here's how you do this sacrifice. You start reading through it, you get a little lost. But all of it is for this main reason. Moses comes back and he tells the Israelites, yo, I noticed that when we came out of Egypt, where you were once in bondage, where you were once in slavery, and now we're in a place where you're free, you're still living like you were in bondage. And a lot of people today that have received the gift of Jesus, you are living, you are, you are free, but you might still be living like you're in bondage. So the Israelites are camping and Moses comes down and he's like, yo, here's how we're going to do all these offerings. Here's where we're going to do all these sacrifices. And the reason for it is, is one, I, I need to teach you how to worship God. This is what I love about our church is we don't just talk about the presence of God. Like we're in a series called the presence of God. We've got presence night that happens once a month. Like we are intentional about going to the places of prayer. We got prayer rooms multiple times a week. We don't just talk about it. We're about it. But not only did Moses say, hey, I need to teach you how to worship. 
Moses said, I need to teach y'all how to live a life that's holy before God. And the reason for this was is that when the Israelites came out of Egypt, you gotta understand Egyptian culture at the time, they didn't serve just one God. Egyptian culture, they served many gods. And so they, they would just serve whatever God they needed something from that day. And Moses is trying to tell them, no, 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 there's only one. There's only one way. And we know in here that Jesus is the only way. He's the only way, the only truth, and the only life. He's the only way to the Father. The Bible says that the gate is the road is narrow. There's only one way to Jesus. And so this is what's happening. He said, hey, there, there's only one God that we serve. And I actually think it's incredible that Moses is telling them this because we saw that every time Moses went up on the mountain, um, I don't know about you, but I'm an impatient person. I think there's some impatient people in here. The Israelites were impatient. And when Moses was gone too long, they would begin to make gods out of their earrings. They would melt down their earrings and say, this is our God now. And this for them, they didn't see anything wrong with it. Because in Egyptian culture, they had many gods they served. So for them, they're like, oh yeah, we can serve God and then we can serve this God and this God. But we know today, that's not how we do it. We know that there's only one way. And I love that Moses is setting the example. There is a way to live holy before God. And what Moses was articulating to them was that your view of holiness is distorted. And I feel like there's a danger today in culture that there's a lot of Christians that your, your view of holiness can be distorted. Like we think that we can pray and say, God, I want a godly marriage. Like some of y'all are single out there and you see some people on the worship team you're like, God, I want a girl like that. But then you're in the club on Friday nights. Like God's like, I can't bless that. Ain't nothing I can do with it. Some of you are like, God, I want a job that's earning six figures. Like, yo, you call it a work every day. <laughs> like God ain't gonna bless that. Some of y'all are laughing. He's like, yeah, I'm calling out tomorrow. <laughs> Fourth of July is on Tuesday. And we ask God to bless things, but we gotta understand that at times, our view of holiness is distorted. I love the word of God because in here, and I thank God that Leviticus is not how we have to live today. Jesus was the once and final sacrifice for our sins and there's a free gift that we just have to raise our hand and open our hearts and Jesus gives us. We don't have to go through the sacrifices and the burnt offerings anymore, but the word of God is meant to direct us back to the Father. And there's a way that when we follow scripture, it teaches us how to live a life of holiness. And so this is what Moses is doing in, in the book of Leviticus is he is teaching the Israelites how to live a life of holiness. And as they were now at Mount Sinai and he's telling them, yo, yo, you guys are doing this the wrong way. Here's how you sacrifice. Here's how you live for God. Here's how you live holy before him. What he's essentially trying to tell them is, again, there's only one way. And somebody in here today needs to know that the Egyptians didn't know they were doing wrong. Like they had lived this way their whole life and all of a sudden they got to live different. Like, I don't know about you, but like, when you get married, <laughs> you're one way, and then you get married, and you gotta live a completely different way. I was, a, I'm gonna be honest with you, I'll bear my soul, I'm a neat freak. I don't like a dirty home. I come home and there's a cup out, like, yo, I'm like, yo, somebody's gotta clean that, because I lived one way, and now I live a different way. If you ever found this when you get married, there's, there's two different ways of living. And what's happening now is Moses is trying to communicate to them, look, I, I know that you don't know that you're doing wrong. But God is the only God that we follow. And he's saying you, you can no longer compromise your convictions. And I honestly told the 830 services, and I want to communicate it even now, like I could stop my message and for the next 20 minutes, we, we could just talk on compromise. Because I feel like that if there's any foothold that the enemy has on the believers today and on the local church today, it's compromising your convictions. And I felt so strongly from the Lord as I came here this morning that the Lord just kept saying, tell them to go back to their original convictions. 
Like some of you had convictions when you first got saved and now it's been a few years and you're like, oh, like God told me not to do this or that, but like, I'm just gonna do it every once in a while. Like it's not a big deal. You know what I'm saying? Like God told me not to date this person. It's been a few years, but now I'm like, I'm kind of lonely, so I wanna be with them again. And you wonder why at times the fire's out burning like it once was. I felt like the Holy Spirit needed to remind somebody in this room today that's frustrated with where you are in your faith. Go back to your original convictions. You know what he's told you. You know the blueprints. You know what scripture says. You know what he's asking. Go back to, it's not sexy. Convictions aren't gonna preach well. Convictions aren't gonna get a lot of likes. But you know what we're not after? We're not after likes. We're not after following. What we're after is a church that looks like Jesus. And the only way a church can be on fire for the things of God is when we get back to the original convictions that he gave us boundaries for. So I gotta tell you today, get back to your original convictions because what I've found is that compromising your convictions is the quickest way to choke out the fire on the inside of you. Time after time after time, I've seen leaders, I've seen followers of Jesus, that they look like the part, but they do the very things they know they're not supposed to do. And it might be one time, but can I tell you, it tarnishes your soul. God has a way for you. And there's not one person in here that I said, if you don't want what God has for you, raise your hand. Nobody would raise their hand. Everybody wants what God has. And this is why the Bible says that the way that Jesus, the road is narrow. Not many want it. Everybody wants the solution. Everybody wants the goal. Everybody wants the prize, but not many people want to work for it. Can I tell you that following Jesus, it's not always going to be easy. It's going to require sacrifice. It's going to require you giving up some things. It's going to be uncomfortable at times. You ever think about the disciples, Jesus' first disciples, he calls them. And they say, yo, Jesus, let me, let me go bury the dead. Let me go bury my dead family members. And Jesus said, no, no, no. If you look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus wasn't insensitive. He's trying to remind us that what's in front of us, we have to go after. There's a road that's narrow. We have to deny ourselves. We have to deny ourselves. So stop compromising your convictions. I even think about what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden. Eve's in the garden and the enemy's like, yo, uh, have some of this fruit. It's gonna be the best fruit of your life. Now, I'm a fruit guy. I love watermelon during the winter. Like, yo, this is the best fruit right here. And Eve's like, no, nah, I'm not supposed to eat from that. And, and what does the enemy say? Did God, did God really say? He didn't say, hey, God didn't say that. He just twisted it a little bit. Did God, did he, I mean, I know he said something like that, but is that, is that exactly what he said? And a lot of you will come in here on Sunday mornings and present sites and prayer rooms and you'll spend time with God in the secret place. And what happens is, is you'll get a truth in a way that God asks you to live. And what the enemy will do is ask you to question it. Well, did, did God really say that? And where God put periods, the enemy puts commas. Well, I know God said that, but is it really the exact way he wants you to live? Look, I know that this is the right way, but like you can do it every once in a while. And if the enemy cannot get you to change your mind, you've got to understand he'll get you to compromise your convictions every single time. He's not going to try to change everything and shift your life completely, but he'll do little minute things that actually do really dark things under the surface. I think this is why Jesus says, I'm not impressed with what happens on the outside. I'm involved with the heart. Jesus sees what's in here. Man sees the appearance. God sees the heart. So I think that what the enemy wants to attack is what God is working on the most, and it's your heart. Don't compromise your convictions in this place. I love how 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says this. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. I think we've all read this scripture. We've heard this scripture before. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. If you actually do any Bible reading, any Bible interpretation, the word for quench in the original Hebrew meant extinguish. Do not extinguish the Holy Spirit. 
Don't extinguish the fire that you once had inside of you. Don't, don't do it. And the only way that we can really, at the end of the day, extinguish what God is doing in us is by compromising our convictions. For the Israelites, it was going back and worshiping other gods. But for us today, I don't, I don't think that's our problem as much. I think what our problem is today is that we compromise our convictions. God, it was just one time. God, I don't see a problem with it. It's just gonna be this, just one time. But you know this, that when the enemy tempts you to that one time, sin always takes you further than you wanna go. It always costs you more than you ever wanted to give. And it always requires more than you have to offer. Sin is not what you want, friend. And I'm telling you that I know that sometimes conviction can feel hard, but I think somebody in here today, as I have this conversation with so many people, you need to know this. There's a massive difference between conviction and condemnation. Do you know that? Condemnation is how the enemy uses it to pull you backwards. Conviction is what God uses to push you forward. Conviction is not punishment, it's correction. Condemnation is guilt. Conviction is grace. Conviction reminds you what God has for you is greater than what the pleasure is in the moment. Condemnation tells you to go ahead and do it and then it guilts you and shames you. Massive difference between guilt and condemnation. And I think there's a lot of people today that follow Jesus that wake up the next morning just feeling so heavy and feeling so condemned and you think you gotta work hard to get God's approval back. Friend, can I tell you, God's approval on your life is when Jesus went to the cross for you. You can try on your own to be good and to be righteous. You'll never make it. But I love what the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin. That we could become the righteousness of God. It also says further in reading that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you today the good news that should lift off weight off you is if you've given your life to Jesus in here or maybe today you need to make that decision. The moment you surrender your life to God, there is no more condemnation on you. None. Guess what that means? For you and for me, I'm going to fail again. You're going to fail again. I'm going to say something I shouldn't. You're going to say something you should. There's no more condemnation in Christ Jesus. You are free from the penalty of that sin. Jesus lifted it off you. But there's conviction to remind you that what God has for you is worth fighting for. Conviction doesn't tell you, hey, you're off the hook. Conviction reminds you, no, no, there's, there's so much more ahead. I can even already imagine the years ahead of my kids growing up and as a father knowing the thing that they should do and they probably won't do it. Son, don't do that. I'm telling you that if you just stick to the plan, you just do the right thing, what's gonna be over here is gonna be so much better. And I think if I had to guess that that's the father's voice to us. Son, don't do that. Daughter, don't go that way. Why? I don't understand it. You don't need to because what's over here is better. You just have to trust that his plan is greater than yours. We don't know the blueprints. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you today that conviction is for your benefit. And conviction continues to grow and cultivate and conserve the fire that God has in you. If you felt like that fire has been extinguished, can I tell you, go back to your original convictions. Go back to those convictions. I want to tell somebody today that you might be struggling with the condemnation or conviction thing. That even as we see with the priests, it says that they, they lay the firewood on the altar. And then in Leviticus, the first six chapters are, here's how you do this sacrifice, here's how you do this offering, and you can kind of get lost in the minute details. And all of it was to say this, when you bring anything before God, just make sure it's your best. God doesn't need anything from you, but he wants you. And that was the whole reason for Jesus to go on the cross. Can I tell you, he did not need us to accomplish his plan, but Jesus desperately wants us because he loves us. And, and Moses, as he's telling Aaron, hey, tell them, here's how you do the sacrifices. It was essentially to tell them, bring the best offering that you possibly can bring. Yes. And as I think about what Jesus has done for us in the room, 
the price that he paid for our sins. I don't know how our response to such a great salvation could be that we would be so stingy after that. But what I see so many times is that we receive the greatest gift of salvation, meaning that there was a massive bill that you and I owed because of our sins. And somebody named Jesus came in and canceled it completely. And what happens for me when I think about that practically, if somebody cancels your sin in your life, just think about this for a minute. You got income for days. You got money for a while, don't you? Now you're trying to think about what's the next thing I'm gonna do? What's the next thing I'm gonna buy? You got no debt. Imagine that. And then imagine being stingy after. Well, when I've seen that, when people become debt-free, it's an opportunity to be more flexible and be more generous. And sometimes I'm confused that when we receive the salvation that cancels all of our sin, all of our debt, all of the penalty that we should have paid, that we could be stingy. We come in and go, oh God, I, I, don't have, I don't have 10% to give you today. Friend, you don't have anything to give him. He paid for your sins. You should give it all to him. You're like, oh, I don't have time to serve this Sunday because there's a football game coming on at 1130. The Niners are probably gonna lose anyways, but I wanna be there to watch it. It's always, it always works. Pull the rug out. But like, you're like, I don't have time to serve. Friend, are you kidding me? If it wasn't for what Jesus did for you, you wouldn't have another breath in your lungs. And what Jesus did for you is a free gift that you didn't have to work for. You didn't have to sacrifice for. You didn't have to give anything for. You just had to receive. So can I implore us, church? We will look like in a live church when we say, I give everything away freely and generously. Why? Because freely and generously, Jesus has given to me. I got nothing to hold on to of value except for him. So we got to bring our best. I love what 2 Samuel chapter 24 says. David is going to build an altar to God. David had reverence. People love David. David shows up to build an altar and he says, yo, to this guy, I need your land so I can build an altar here. And the guy said, oh, bet. You can have the land free of charge, favor. He said, you can also have all the offerings and you can just sacrifice right here. I'm gonna give it all to you. You don't have to pay for a dime, David. And you know what David says? Look at this, 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24. Samuel says, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God offerings that cost me nothing. Let that settle in for a moment. David was tempted to sacrifice to God something that would have cost him nothing. If I had to venture to say, I would say coming on a Sunday morning costs you nothing. But there's hundreds of people week in and week out that serve this church to make sure that you can come and experience the presence of God, but it costs you nothing. And I think that there's a temptation for us today to bring something to God that costs us nothing. But can I tell you, the only thing that Jesus really wants from you is not your finances. <laughs> Some people, that's, you're like, thank God. It's obedience, you should, but that's not what he's really after. Jesus is truly after your heart. And if Jesus is truly after your heart, that means that the only offering and sacrifice that he is pleased with is your life. And this means that we have to be people that say, Jesus, my life is no longer my own. I love what Jesus says in the Gospels. He says that those who go to look for their life, they lose it. But those who lose their life, they find it. I don't know if you've ever tried to find it on your own. Find the right relationship. Find the income. Find the joy. Find the satisfaction only to come knocking on doors that are empty. But every time you come to Jesus and say, I'm willing to leave it all behind, you find that he has everything you need. And it might not look like what you thought it would, but it's better than what you ever could have imagined. And Jesus this morning is saying, I don't want anything else. I just want your life. 
I think the only offering that our God is pleased with is our life. And I think that if Jesus gave his life for us, the only response would be, Jesus, you can have my life in return. And I think about this. I think about the widow's mite and the keys. You can come back up. I think about Jesus talks about in the parables that there's a, a widow who came. And he's in a church service just like this. There's all these people that come to church regularly and a lot of rich people. And they just deposit bunches of money. They look great. Here's a bunch of money. Here's a bunch of money. And this widow comes in. Bible says she had nothing except for two small copper coins that are the equivalents of a penny to us. And while they think they're being recognized for all the income that they're putting in, all the giant gifts they're putting in, Jesus said, actually, the one who's given most is the poor widow. They all gave out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty. And today you might come in here and be like, yo, like, I'm on the edge. Like, I, I think I want to give my life to Jesus. I, I've been here for a while thinking about it, but I don't feel like I have much to offer. None of us do. <laughs> None of us have much to offer him. No, I would venture to say none of us have really anything to offer him. But he's pleased with our life. And I think that if Jesus was impressed with the gift, I don't think he was really impressed with the size of the gift being dropped off either. I think he was impressed with the sacrifice it cost. And it will be a sacrifice for us today. Say, Jesus, you can have my plans. You can have my future. You can have my relationships. You can have my finances. You can have my whole life. Why is that? Anybody ever been on an airplane before and you just freaked out? No airplane people? Is there people in here that you don't do airplanes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't do airplanes. That's cool. I didn't do airplanes for a while too. Why is that? I have no problem driving a car. Driving a car is far more dangerous than getting on a plane, by the way. I can't control it. And laying your life down means I'm giving up control. Of course I have goals. Of course I have plans. But God's plans and God's goals and God's, what he's got for me is far better than my own. I'm laying my life down as an offering. Where you want me to go, what you want me to do. Listen, people that are in ministry, we didn't do it for the hype. We did it because God got a hold of our hearts. And there's people in here that you might not ever know that are prayer warriors that are praying for you. And they did it because they laid their life down. And we can continue to come in here and be a church that says, hey, we'll serve you. But friend, I always say it like this. There was years where I, uh, before I married my wife now, I would go to her family's house for Thanksgiving and I would enjoy the food. I mean, it was good. <laughs> didn't end. You know what I'm saying? Like it didn't end. It just kept coming and coming. And um, for years I did this. At the end, I didn't clean up. I just sat there, had conversations, ate the food. It was great. But when I got into relationship, relationship something changed. See, when I got into relationship, and I married into the family, all of a sudden I felt like, man, maybe I should pick up my dishes and, and wash them. Maybe I should take the trash out. Maybe I should be a helping hand. Why? Because when you come into relationship with somebody, you can be served for a while, but when you come into relationship, now there's a duty and an obligation to get involved. And I think that it's great that in this church that we serve people well. This is the heart of our church. But I'm telling you that if you came in here today, the heart for you, I believe the next step for you to keep the fire burning in your life is to say, my life is an offering. I can get served for a while, but I gotta get involved. This church doesn't grow just because we do cool events, but it grows because people saying, I'm laying down my life. That's different. I ain't never seen the world say I'm laying down my life. I see, I, I'm gonna go get my own. I'm going to get my income. I'm going to get my schedules. I'm going to get the platforms. I don't care how I get there. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's not the way. You, you, you lay your life down. 
And even if that means that you feel insignificant and not seen and not heard, whatever it might be, my life is an offering. And some of you, you might not ever know the impact that you have on eternity until you get there. And I think about the stories like the Addies that have changed the reason why I said I'm laying my life down. Of course I've got desires. We all do. But when I see stories like that, I said, that's what fans the flame of faith in me. God, if you can continue to do that through my life, why would I not lay it down? Your life is not meant to just be about you. And sometimes we get lost in searching for our purpose. There's a million books, how to find your purpose. Can I tell you the only purpose that you need to pursue is Jesus. And in the middle, you'll do so much more than you could have ever done on your own. We got to be people that we just say, I'm going after Jesus. So in Leviticus chapter six, I'm closing. The priest prepares the altar. We see what's happening. Look at what it says in verse 13 one more time. Uh, it says this, every morning the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offerings on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. Leviticus chapter six, God said, just set the fire. Just put the wood on the fire, put the sacrifice there, but don't set it. I don't like waiting for things. He said, just set the altar, put the sacrifice on it. And not till Leviticus chapter nine says that when God was pleased with it, that he sent fire and it consumed the sacrifice. And I think that this church will be a church that people recognize when we're just people say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna set the altar as my life. I'm gonna lay it down. And I think the result of spending time in God's presence as we're in this series, the presence of God, the result of spending time in God's presence is that fire comes from your life. You're like, yeah, yeah, what does that mean? It means that you can't go to the grocery store and help but pray for people. It means that you can't go to your workplace and not cuss like everybody else. It means that you can't get back into places that you once were and look the exact same that you once did. When you're on fire for God, all of a sudden things begin to change, don't they? And he begins to burn off desires that should have never been there. And he begins to change your priorities and your identity and what you're going after and who you really are. And I think that when we lay the altar, we say, God, I'm waiting for you to send the fire. When he sends the fire, I don't know if you've ever seen a forest fire before, but like people drive to these things and they just watch them. Because fire attracts people, doesn't it? Fire attracts people. Fire is undeniable. Fire is big. And when people see, whoa, whoa, there's something different in you, it's gonna attract people to you. I'm a firm believer in this, that Jesus never intended you to be anybody's savior. Some people have savior syndrome. But I think that for a while, that God might actually use you, so people might follow you for a little while, but the end goal is that they follow Jesus. People are following you right now, that's okay, keep pointing them to Jesus. And I think the result of a church of people in here that say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use my life as an offering. God can consume it as a fire. What's gonna happen is a bunch of little fires all over the room. I mean, I can't tell you how many times in between services, Sam, people come up and say, Sam, you got the fire inside of you. How do you do it? How do you do it? I say, you know how I do it? I spend time in his presence. I think we get so wrapped up in our bills and our schedules. We get so wrapped up in our to-dos, taking care of our kids, hello and our goals and our plans that we forget that religion tells you to do more. Jesus tells you to be more. Nice. So just sit with me, just sit with me. And even as I was preparing this week, I felt like the Lord said, stop, just spend time with me. 
think somebody in here needs to know that. If you feel like the fire has gone out, you feel like, man, I'm, I'm, in, a, I'm in a dry place. I'm just getting through right now. Can I tell you? Just spend time in his presence. I love summer camp because last year, I just remember sitting there and watching just the keys just like this and hundreds of kids praying and crying and singing and I wasn't doing anything. It's just the presence of God. You, you don't need a great sermon. You don't need a great worship song. You don't need a sexy looking church or a great coffee shop. You need the presence of God. And when you start finding that in the presence of God, what I love most about Addie's testimony that maybe wasn't shared was that Addie, she left this conference and she had a lot of things going on. And she said, Sam, I, for the first time in my life, I found the place where I fully belonged. It wrecked me. I said, Addie, I need you to know that you don't fully belong just here at Project Church. You don't just fully belong here at Project Youth. You have found a place that transcends this place. And the place that transcends this place is his presence. You have found a place where you belong and it is his presence. That will always be there. No matter where you go, no matter what life looks like, no matter what you choose to do, no matter the highs and the lows, you always have a place in his presence to come that will never leave you, that will never run dry, that will always be what you need. Friend, we only need his presence. We can stop everything else and just say, I'm gonna sit with him. And I love that even as the scripture ends here, I swear I'm, I'm done. It says every morning the priest is to add firewood on the altar. Every morning, did you hear that? Didn't say every Sunday. Didn't say when there's a big church event. Didn't say when you feel like it. It said every morning the priest is to add firewood on the altar. What's the firewood for you and for me? The firewood for us to keep the fire burning yeah, I'm, I'm gonna be here on Sunday mornings, but I'm not just gonna leave out the back doors. I'm gonna engage in conversation. I'm gonna tell somebody, I need prayer, I need help, I need somebody to pray for me. It means I'm gonna show up to presence nights once a month and I'm gonna come in and I'm just gonna let it all out and say, God, here's what it is. It's not pretty, it's not perfect, but this is what it is. It's saying, I'm gonna show up to the prayer rooms. God, I don't want, I, don't, I need to eat McDonald's at lunch. It's gonna kill my stomach anyways. <laughs> but he said, come to the prayer room. I'm gonna spend time in his presence. I'm gonna get into a community group because right now I'm sitting in my thoughts and they're negative and I don't like the way life is. Get into community group. That's adding firewood on the altar. I'm gonna be around people that encourage me. There is practical firewood, I believe, today that will keep the fire burning that God is asking us to do. But it always starts with understanding that the fire never starts because of you. The fire only starts inside of you because you make the decision to first receive the free gift of salvation that Jesus offers you. That free gift begins something in you that will make you different. It'll bring you from what Bible says was death into life. You will no longer look the same, live the same. And not because you're strong-armed and said that you had to, because you fit moral compasses that make you do that. No, no, no. When you spend time in his presence, all of a sudden you don't look the same. I love then the Bible says in Exodus that when Moses went up on the mountain, and he was in the presence of God. He came back down. They had to put a veil over his face because it said that he, the radiance coming off his face is shown as white as snow. He didn't look the same. And we're not supposed to look the same after we come out of his presence. A couple years ago, my nephew had a birthday party with a bunch of little, little kids and it was his 10th birthday party. And 
Um, you know, there's always those kids that they just don't do the things that you, you tell them to do, right? And um, there's this one kid, I don't know the kid's name. I'm gonna assume it's Luke. If you're Luke in here, sorry, but I'm gonna assume it was Luke. And um, we said, hey, you guys can play um, this game that you're gonna do, but you just can't go in the restricted zones because we haven't been back there. It could be snakes, it could be insects. I hate insects, so it could be anything back there. Don't go back there, I'm not helping you, okay? If there's spiders in my house, my wife kills them, true story. And um, I said, don't, just don't go in these areas. So this kid goes in there and game's over. Of course he wins because he's in the area nobody's looking. He runs out and lo and behold, he trips over something and knocks down a wasp nest. Now they're circling. We got a bunch of kids that have no idea what's happening. It's like a sneak attack on all the kids. I don't know if you've ever been in a, around a group of like 10 kids that just simultaneously begin crying at the same time. It's a nightmare, okay? And they're screaming, crying. And I go up to my nephew and I just tell him, I said, look, I know this is painful. I know it hurts right now, but do you know what happens after a, stee, a bee stings you? He goes, oh, eating his lollipop, what? I'm like, whatever makes you feel better, bro. He's eating his lollipop. I said, well, what makes it feel better? I said, well, you gotta understand that, that once a bee stings you, it dies. He goes, really? I said, yeah, every time. And I felt like even as I was preparing this message that that was a word for us today that you gotta understand, friend, that if you feel like your fire has been depleted and diminished because you felt the sting of death in your life, you have felt the intoxication that the enemy has suffocated your life with, can I tell you that Jesus paid the final sacrifice for you? And I gotta tell you that when the enemy might have stung you before, can I tell you that death lost its sting? That at the end of this life that there is freedom for you and for me. And can I tell you it might not be easy right now keeping the fire burning in your life. It won't always be easy. But can I tell you, Jesus will always be with you in it. Can I remind you that at the end of this life, the promise for you and for me is that there is life and life to the fullest. Yes. And even in the midst of the times where it feels like I don't have what it takes, he'll walk with you and he'll grace you. Come on, can we stand up? I wanna pray for us. I want to reiterate that. Somebody, I think, needs to hear that today, that you have, been, you have felt the sting of life. Maybe it's been life. Maybe you lost somebody that you're close to. Maybe something just happened and just knocked the wind out of you. I was once on fire for God. Felt like I lost it when this, when this X, Y, and Z happened. Gotta hold on to this, friend. Death lost its sting. And it might hurt right now, but it does not last. But what Jesus has for you, it always lasts. And you will always find what you need in his presence. And we just need a church that says, I'm committed. The word of the Lord for us today, is, I won't burn out. I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna stay committed to what God has for me. I'm gonna sustain the fire on the inside of me. If God was gracious to start it, then I'm gonna be bold enough to sustain it. So I wanna ask you real quick, with every eye closed, I wanna ask you to respond. There's some people in here today that you have not given your life to Jesus and maybe you've lived life with so, much, with so much guilt and condemnation and it's been heavy. And I think today the Lord is saying, I wanna lift that off for you. I wanna lift the heaviness off you. I wanna remind you that there's life and life to the fullest available for you. If that's you all over this room, you say, I wanna give my life to Jesus. Would you just lift up your hand? I wanna know who I'm praying for. Come on, that's incredible. I'm gonna ask you to be bold and just keep that hand raised and we can all pray this prayer together. Say, Jesus, thank you for your grace. I can never earn it or deserve it, but you came for me anyways. So today, I give you my past, I give you my present, and I give you my future. 
all my days are yours because you canceled my sin and you paid for my eternity. I love you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Can you say amen? Come on, we put our hands, a lot of hands raised up in here today. We're gonna sing a song and I'm always a proponent to encourage you to, to engage. Like I said, it's adding wood onto the altar. Really early, I decided in my life that I would not be a pastor that would not be the first one to raise my hands and get on my knees because I don't wanna lose the fire that God has placed inside of me. So friend, I'm offering you an opportunity right now that it's your choice to take. But they're gonna begin to sing and I would encourage you, lift up your hands and say, God, it might not be much, but here's my life. It's an offering to you. Come on, let's sing. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church Podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.